Hello, good evening, and welcome to The Game Is About Glory. I'm your host, Steph, and joining me this week are Milo and uh, no longer Luton, but Amar. Amar, welcome back. How are you, mate? Really good, thank you. Thanks for having me, boys. Yeah, well, indeed. And uh, Milo, how's it going there? Yeah, all good here, all good here. Excellent. Okay. Well, it appears, chaps, that the world of football a la 2022 is destined to be blighted with the sort of tomfoolery we witnessed on Saturday when the Premier League accepted Arsenal's request to postpone the North London derby we were meant to have played earlier today at the lane. We'll be discussing the facts as well as emotions around the furores surrounding not just this, but other cancellations in this Omicron COVID wave. We will also look back at last Wednesday's League Cup semi-final second leg against Chelsea. And finally, we'll take a quick dip into the current transfer window, which is at its halfway point. Where are we in sense of incomings, solid links and absolute howlingly rubbish rumours, although we may not touch those. Will Paratici deliver what Antonio wants? And what do the next couple of weeks have in store? And you can hear the chaps giggling because, let's face it, we're not a transfer committee, but we like to think that we are. Nothing to do with me repeating the same line three times, so as Milo has something good for the edit. However, as usual, we start with our intro question. And this one is in tribute to that major razor and all-round bad boy Boris Johnson and his cabinet crew, who now are to enjoy a banging night with suitcases of booze and all the trimmings. Lads, what is the best party that you've ever been to? Milo, why don't you kick us off? I'm going back to the early 90s. I was working in a club. Well, I'd, I'd been working. I finished I finished work and we drove down to a beach uh, where some friends were having a party. And we partied on the beach until the next morning. And the sun coming up over the sea where a mate of mine was DJing. And I was surrounded by my mates. was just a really, really good night. Yeah, dancing on the sand with my mates when the sun came up in the morning was the best party I've ever been to. Nice. <laughs> So, what is the best party that you've ever been to, Amar? In 1999, I went to Destiny's Child UK debut and um, at the O2. And it was stunning because a young English talent called Jamelia um, was the undercard as such. And she absolutely stole the show. And it was an amazing night. Me and about 20 friends went completely hyped about seeing Beyonce and the gang and this girl came out and sang her heart out and the crowd went absolutely mental for her. I just remember it being an amazing night and we stayed, we got to talk to her afterwards as well and it was a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant party. It was, um, yeah, we were allowed to have it and it was an amazing thing to experience. So yeah, I'll never forget that. And second to that is Up in Smoke with Dr. Dre and Snoop and these guys. But um, yeah, that Jamelia performance stands in my mind forever. It was a lot of, lot of fun. Steph, your best party? My best party, I've I've sort of wrestled with it because it's really, really hard. I'm not, without wishing to blow any cover, in my line of work, I have certainly enjoyed a fair few. I'm sort of going to go semi-gig heavy, actually, on probably my one of my best nights, which was seeing the Pogues um, at the Barrowlands in Glasgow in 1991 mm. on St. Patrick's Night. Celtic had just beat Rangers 2-0. Uh, the Birmingham Six had been released that night, and... Uh, and I, I remember thinking I was actually going to collapse on the floor. I was pogoing so much. And I stepped backstage, I remember, to drink more. It was in a cold corridor, but it had been super hot. I was teeming with steam, if you will, steam coming off me. And one of the Birmingham Six walked past me. They were there as guests that night, their first night out, and looked at me and he said, Hi, it's a hot one, <laughs> something like that. <laughs> and I was like, wow. And uh, we continued to drink copious amounts of whiskey i think in four or five in the morning i remember not much after the end of the show other than 
it remains one of the most memorable uh, nights out I've had ever. Uh, and I think it counts as a party because there are six of us uh, crammed together at all times and all sorts of backstage life and so on, which crawled into the streets and hotels that we were at. So somewhere in there, you can see what a banging night that was. Barrowlands is such a great venue. Oh, sprung dance floor. It's great. As we walked up to the thing, I mean, I'd already had a few whiskeys. As we walked up to the to the stairwell, looked up the stairwell, or up the stairs rather, and the steam was already rolling out of the building, and mm. it was just green and white jumping up and down. I mean, jumping up and down, and just songs. It was incredible. Taking us back to the shenanigans at number 10, um, I was talking to my wife about it during during the week, and my son asked us what we were what we were talking about, and I said that the Prime Minister, there have been parties at the Prime Minister's, and um, my son asked us whether they'd had jelly and ice cream, and I said I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. He said he told me that if there wasn't jelly, if there wasn't jelly, it wasn't a party. So I'm, I'm thinking I'm thinking about writing to the prime minister and offering him up to do an inquiry. If the current one doesn't go doesn't get the answer he wants, then I've, I've got just the man to uh, to do the next one. I think that we absolutely support your son in his. Uh definition of a proper party which is that it must have jelly and ice cream game is about glory fully agrees with and endorses that sentiment does that right is that right chaps absolutely endorse that absolutely solid and this seems as good a point as any to to you know throw a little bit into the mixer here in our order and say that uh you know before we get into the beat of it spotify have introduced podcast ratings recently so if you like the fact that the game is about glory feels that a party is not a real party without jelly and ice cream and have a spotify account we'd really appreciate it if you could leave us a five star review we still love getting itunes reviews too so please leave us a review on there too if you listen to us in the apple universe and now Let's look back at the week that was, and we'll start with a few players. Uh, Dylan Markenday is rumoured to be joining Blackburn on a permanent deal worth £500,000, rising to £1 million with add-ons. We're meant to have included a hefty sell-on clause in the deal. Uh, look, he's one of the stars of our under-23s. He's having a fantastic season, but his current deal is up in the summer. There didn't look like he was going to sign an extension. Chaps, bit of a catch-22 here, right? You know, it's unfortunate we have to sell him, but... Do we have a choice? I'd just like to say there's an immense amount of pride for me when he came on for Spurs and he played. He's, he's from a um, subcontinent background. He's a big, big deal. He's clearly a talent. He's been scoring for fun and creating goals for the under-23s. It feels sad, but I feel a little bit a little bit ignorant about what's actually going on. Is a player just desperate to move on? Um, or are the club trying to keep him or what the situation is? So my understanding is that there's been a contract on the table for a while now, but he's refused to sign it because he can't see a clear path to the first team. And you know, this is a path we've been down a few times over the last few years and we've lost some, you know, three, four, five, you know, really good players. You know, some of the most high hyped players from the from the under 23s in similar circumstances and I think it becomes a bit of a kind of catch-22 in that we won't give them first team opportunities because they won't sign a new contract and they won't sign a new contract because they can't see first team opportunities I think Mark and Day is a player who could quite easily have done a job for us in the Europa in the Europa Conference this season but didn't get those chances because of the situation and I think it's a shame because you know what we should be looking to do with you know whether he's going to make it with us or not if we could get him onto a longer contract, we could have loaned him out. He could have got first-team football. And then this summer, next summer, you know, summer after that, we could have sold him for you know, 10, 20 times more than we've sold him for now. And that's money that we could be reinvesting in the first team. And, you know, that's a, that's a um, yeah, we've got a good academy. Not all of those players are going to come through to the first team, but what they can do is they can help the club 
by uh, you know, if we can maximise the value we can get for them. And we need to sort this out. As we discussed uh, a little earlier, uh, you know, this is something Chelsea have done incredibly mm-hmm. successfully. I mean, you have to wonder, you know, how much of that goes back to the seas that Frank Arneson sowed there when he was taken from us <laughs> in 2005. But uh, nonetheless, uh, it is it is a way that they operate and they operate very, very, and they, and they do it well. Mm-hmm. They do very well with that. I would say Blackburn are a fun project. They're playing good football. Yeah, they are. Um, they've got some decent players there and I'm kind of, it's, it'll be kind of nice to see how he gets on there if he does go, and it'll give me a reason to watch them too. Um, so yeah, if it does happen, I'd, I'll be watching them occasionally yeah. to see how Dylan gets on. Uh, we've also got Jamie Bowden, who has been recalled from his loan at Oldham Athletic. Uh, it was a pretty successful one. He started 18 of Oldham's 21 games so far this season. Uh, he scored one goal and got five assists in that period. You know, uh, but like with Keon Tete last week, the rumours are that Jamie has been recalled to be loaned out again at a higher level. Um, you know, uh, uh, is this another case? Do we see Bowden as being in a similar position in the sense of where's the pathway or are we fattening him up for sale, so to speak? I think it's probably the latter. Um, he's had a really good spell at Oldham. It's, I think it's hard to see him becoming a first-team regular for us. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, both him and Atete were being lined up to be sold this summer and playing at a higher level might help increase, increase the value. Uh, and then we've got Jamie Donnelly, uh, under-18 striker, who signed his first pro contract at the club. He's highly rated, has 12 goals and five assists in his first 22 games for Spurs under-18s, and is an England youth international. I suppose we should turn our attentions <laughs> to the postponed North London derby. The whispers started soon after Arsenal's uh, impressive uh, 0-0 first leg draw against Liverpool in their League Cup semi-final first leg, that perhaps they would find themselves unable to fulfil the, the fixture. Um, with two players loaned last week, uh, Aisling Maitland-Niles and Fuller in Balogun, Granite Xhaka sent off against Liverpool, Martin Odegaard coming up COVID positive on Thursday, and with several players at the AFCON, including Thomas Partey and Aubameyang, Arsenal did indeed look a little light. Add to that, less than full health reported for Tommy Asu, Smithrow, Saka and Suarez. It soon became clear that the goons would arrive at the lane at less than full strength. Meanwhile, the home dressing room was also suffering from the loss of some Dyer, Reggie and Romero. Uh, look, we've discussed this on chat threads and so on and so forth. I, uh, I, I threw my handbag about a little bit when I first heard about it and was flouncing and so on and so forth. But I mean, the bottom line is that uh, you know it's clear that by the letter of the law, Arsenal have done nothing wrong beyond taking full and depending on your viewpoint, unsporting advantage of loophole language at uh, the Premier League have written rules on postponements which were amended this season um, to accommodate COVID uh, and by the letter of those laws Arsenal have done nothing that is questionable so you know we are in that grey area uh, which we'll discuss in a minute let me just say if I can what the Premier League said about the postponement before we commence a brief discussion the Premier League said the decision is a result of a combination of COVID-19 existing and recent injuries and players on international duty at the Africa Cup of Nations all clubs are able to apply for a postponement if COVID-19 infections are a factor in their request the league apologizes for the inconvenience and disruption caused to supporters who would have attended or watched the game we are fully aware that postponements disappoint clubs and fans. The league aims to provide as much clarity as possible. <laughs> but unfortunately, postponements sometimes have to be made at short notice as safety is our priority. 
where possible, the league will endeavour to keep supporters updated if games become at risk. I do just want to add personally that we must also state as a fact that as of the postponement, Arsenal had one COVID case declared. So, chaps, what do we think? Um, Arsenal bottled this game. They used a loophole. They got out of it. Um, It's reprehensible. Um, in my opinion because I wanted to see the North London derby so I'm really emotive about it Um, they've got away with not playing the game they had a hell of a lot of injuries they had players away and they had a a Covid case maybe another one came up afterwards I'm not sure but they used what was on the table I think that without a question of doubt Spurs would have done the same in their situation so I'm annoyed it's poor form from them but any team would do it Liverpool tried it and they had something like I don't know double digits of false positives or something afterwards so but yeah, it's really, really frustrating. Um, yeah, that's where I am on it at the moment. The floor is yours, my friend. The biggest impact on this is for fans who'd planned or you know, already forked out to travel to the game. So beyond, you know, kind of the tickets, you know, planning for travel, planning for hotels, already traveled down, all that kind of stuff. And I, I think we, you know, when we start talking about the technicalities of the Arsenal's request or the Premier League decision, um, I think sometimes that gets, gets lost a bit and, 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 those are the you know th- those are the people that I feel most sorry for. You know the rules clearly allow for postponements for you know reasons such as this, and I think also the clubs hide behind the Premier League a bit. You know the Premier League is owned by the clubs. The rules are set by the clubs. You know the current set of rules were decided. Well, there was a, the original set of rules were decided before the beginning of the season, and then there was the addition to that just before Christmas. And those were voted on by the clubs. So um, when you start seeing people complaining about it, or sorry, the clubs start complaining about it, you know, it's within their control. Obviously, it's disappointing to have another game uh, postponed. I think it's inevitable that the season is going to be extended. I'd like to drill it down to two two questions here on the basis of what, you know, what we discussed, what you just said, what we're generally discussing. By the way, I agree wholeheartedly that uh, the fans are once again massively shortchanged and uh, and you were telling me Milo that you'd uh, heard some personal experiences of people who had travel booked and now don't know if they're going to get their, mm-hmm. their costs refunded I mean it's always a, a, a massive wrench you know in these Covid times where money is a little tighter let's face it you can't be afforded to do that every five minutes so and I think when you look at you know the stadium at the moment yeah, we're struggling to sell out. Well, we're not selling out the ground. You know, we're at kind of two thirds capacity for most games, and the possibility of postponements is going to be a factor in that. You know, if you're travelling a distance for a game, um, you're going to think twice about it if you think there's a chance that it could be called off. You know, the the, the day before or on the day of the game, that's going to be an impact. That's going to that's going to that's going to be a consideration when you're thinking about whether to fork out you know a small fortune for tickets. Yeah. So I think, again, that being uh, something that we, we also all agree on, I think I'd like to drill it down to, to two things. It's a legally acceptable interpretation of the rules. We would agree with that because the way they're written, it's open to be interpreted in the fashion it was. But let me ask you if you think it was a morally acceptable thing to do. And are we even ridiculous to bring up the M word in modern football in Premier League football which let's face it since the formation of the Premier League has probably been one of the most you know immoral uh, sporting uh, endeavours that you could possibly find and football as a whole does not exactly have moral high ground to stand on. Yeah I mean when we talk about kind of immoral activity in the Premier League I think this is a footnote on that list. I mean what it clearly is is you know, further evidence of the fans being taken for granted us being little more than extras for a TV programme but uh, you know, there's far worse things going on 
daily elsewhere. I think also one of the things that I've thought about this uh, particular postponement, especially as we saw African Cup of Nations raised as, uh, you know, as one of the reasons that Arsenal felt they couldn't field a full strength squad. And, you know, we're all up in arms about that. It's like, crikey, you know the players you've got, you know the squad you've got, manage it better. But I think football generally is being squeezed so hard Mm -hmm. in all directions uh, by the multitude of, of tournaments and quite obviously COVID, um, you know, it's a relentless struggle to, to keep any amount of players fit for any amount of time at this point due to the, the calendar being so chock-a-block with these stupid money-making tournaments such as the, the, the Nations League, which, as you all know, I bang on about whenever I can. I think it's ridiculous. Having said that, I do think we are at this moment where a club are going to have a team of their legal departments are going to look at clauses and laws, and wherever they can get themselves a break, they will. Uh, I mean, you know, we heard Arsenal's excuse that some of their players are suffering the effects of COVID from three weeks ago. I would say that's probably quite true. It's probably true in the case of our players, It's probably true in the case of many, right? So this is surely a consequence indirectly of all of that. Yeah, and I think Klopp's talked about some of the asymptomatic um, cases that they've had, saying that they've come back into training and that they've noticed the impact on performance following that. I mean, in terms of kind of people looking at... Yeah, you know, these clauses, the rules, and the impact of them. Yeah, I mean, the fact is, this is a fifty million pound game. You know, if this decides yeah. who finishes fourth, this is a you know, this is a fifty million pound game. So, of course, they're going to look at it like that. I mean, yeah, we can talk about the rights and wrongs of football, but you know, at the end of the day, you know, we've seen this, you know, with the FA Cup and the League Cup and what have you, where finishing fourth is more important than winning a cup. And yeah, this is uh, yeah exactly the same as that. Yeah, at the end of the day, for Arsenal, finishing top four is a huge impact for them. Both clubs are at a critical stage of the rebuild. Yeah, absolutely. It's not just the Champions League revenue no. you get; you're denying <laughs> it from your closest rival. So you know, we're, if we're huge. If, if we're battling it for yes. Vlahovic, if we're battling it out for whoever, then who's got Champions League football? Who's got that money? Who's got that cachet? Is really key, yeah. and that's what this is about. So of course they've done that. Mm-hmm. How bad is this cancellation for Spurs? Just take the fact that Arsenal really wanted it off. Could we take this positively and think, all right, we've got another few days of a break. We're going to play Leicester in a couple of days. We're going to have the legend and the most important player in our team. And you say his name, as I say, Eric Deer. We'll be back in the team, hopefully. Romero's got a couple more days um, to get fitter. Reggie will have a little bit of a rest. Conte's got a little bit more time on the team. I mean, Arsenal hopefully have shot themselves in the foot, and that's a horrible romanticism of a Spurs fan who's constantly let down in the end. But um, what do you think? Well, it's a great question. I mean, look, first and foremost, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, the, you know, the quiet narrative must surely be that when we settle back down and calm down and stop flouncing about, you know, it certainly is going to benefit us because we're going to have, hopefully, uh, our best our best eleven available. Uh, so surely it's going to benefit us to be able to have all these players fit um, and, and strong and, and, and ready to take them on. Yeah, I, I think in short. And, you know, it sort of makes a bit... I'll leave it there. We're going to win the rearranged fixture 3-0 with goals from Sun, Romero and Dyer. I mean, that's what's going to happen. So, yeah. I think it definitely reintroduces an extra element of spice for when the game is finally played. I mean, it's Ooh. really... This is going to be a yeah. red-hot or white hot, depending on your perspective of North London derby, right? It's going to be in madness. And we've been complaining about the lack of new chance. If there isn't something around them being bottlers, 
if there isn't something around this, then we've really, you know, we've really let ourselves down. It's a trick. I, yeah. I, yeah. I couldn't agree more. Uh, that's a massive point. In fact, the players will be pumped too. I mean, they've done Conte's team talk for him. You know, for all the Spurs supporters who think that the rearranged fixture should take into account suspensions and think that Granit Xhaka should be suspended for that game, I think that's absolute folly. I think that we should. <laughs> I want Granit Xhaka on the pitch for Arsenal because I don't think he'll last. I don't think he'll last half an hour in the rearranged fixture. But anyway, not a chance. So we have a football match to discuss, gentlemen. Uh, one did take place. Oh shit! It's it this was one. against Chelsea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was against Chelsea. And how ironic that the first question in our notes uh, for this match, which uh, you know we should note, ended in a one-nil defeat at home. Uh, and a 3-0 defeat overall, which sees Chelsea in the Carabao Cup final. The first question we had in our notes was, did Antonio's selection suggest he was somewhat throwing it with the Arsenal game only a few days away? Uh, in hindsight, this doesn't look like such a good idea. <laughs> I mean, let's just look. Is there anything... It says, given the scarcity of talent on the bench, is there anything you'd have done differently with regards to the selection? I mean, I, I suppose we should just say, first of all, do we think that the selection was chosen with an eye to the Arsenal game that never was. And I mean, hindsight's going to make this a very difficult question to answer rationally, but should we have selected accordingly if we think that's the case? I think he picked the team with Arsenal in mind. Um, doesn't mean he threw this game. I think he considered what he had and thought about both games. Um, he, there's no doubt having a 2-0 disadvantage going into the game would have impacted um, what he was thinking. But... I'm not annoyed at Conte for the side he selected. You've got two games in a few days. You've got to do what you've got to do with the squad that you have. I think it was a selection with an eye on the Arsenal-Leicester games. The players that he left out that we would expect to play other than Larice are ones that we know of either coming back from injury or carrying knocks. So Reggie has had a knock. Cessignon has only just come back from an injury. Actually, it's not true of Skip, is it? Skip uh, didn't start. He, uh, he's he's fine, I think. Dyer is still injured and not expected to come back to the end of the month. Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think it was around trying to protect the players coming back from injury. I mean, I think the selection was definitely trying to protect the squad in general for the mm-hmm. for the Premier League games. I mean, I think there's little doubt that's where his head's at. Uh, you know, let's let's look across the two legs at those three Chelsea goals, which did all come from Spurs mistakes. By the way, uh, Galini punched his card again, it says in the notes, but he certainly didn't punch the ball in this game, did he? Um, so, uh, t- but, you know, they've all come from from our mistakes. Um, you know, this time, Tanganga and Galini combining to gift Rudiger a goal. Uh, I-, I think, you know, the lion's share of that has to sit on, uh, on, on Galini. Um, it just, you know, just awful goalkeeping again. You know, what, but what does this tell us about our team? I mean, I know what it tells me, but I want to hear what it what it tells you. I, mean, I think there's two things on this. I think we're in a situation where we've probably got, I don't know, 14, 15 players that the manager trusts. Maybe a little, maybe one or two more than that, but it's not much more than that. Um, and the, if we get it keep... down to thirteen, we could claim a postponement. There, <laughs> surely, sorry, <laughs> sorry. And there's massive drop offs. In quality and in key in, in a number of key positions, but we've talked about that quite a lot over the last few weeks. We don't probably don't need to go into that into that too much. Right. I I would also say though that 
if you're losing, Chelsea are a decent side. They won the Champions League last season. They've you know they've beaten us three 0 over two legs, but all three of those goals have come from mistakes and mistakes from players who wouldn't be in the team if everyone was fit. I would say that's positive. So it's not a systematic failure. You're not looking at our system and saying that's wrong. Um, the players who were playing in that system might not have fitted it because of absences, but I think that's a different issue. And I think that's something that we can address over the next couple of windows. So it's bad, but I can take some positives from that. It does mean we've got that issue of, of improving the squad quality. The other thing I, that did occur to me briefly on this is that a year ago, that Chelsea side looked threadbare and a lot of those squad players didn't look very good. And I think what we need to do is we need to get into a position where some of those squad players who are maybe on the margins of that kind of Conte trust level at the moment are either you know functioning players who can come in and and do a job or they're replaced. We're probably not talking about the players that need to leave this month, but we're probably looking at you know the ones who are who are in that grey area. Because where Chelsea have been really successful is players who looked absolutely shit last year under Lampard suddenly look like really, really good options from the bench or really good options when they come into the team. And I think we've got um, you know a number of players who, who could be similar if Conte can turn them around. Do you think a part of that is not that they were shit last year and they've become good this year, it's that they've become motivated too and consider that many of our fringe players, we've got 13 or 14 in trusts, um, a lack of motivation is definitely hindering their talent and ability on the pitch. So that's, I think, I know we've talked about that in past weeks no, as well. It's, but... a, it's, it's, it's a very good point with regards to this game because I think that what's interesting is when I watched some of the highlights back of this game, we actually did have some very good opportunities. We actually did play uh, far better than it might have come across overall. And the devil was in the details. And the details for us right now is that grey line between talent and confidence of these fringe players that are coming in. Uh, you know, uh, whether we like it or not, the likes of Doherty are not, they're not terrible footballers. They're footballers who are just woefully out of out of uh, any sort of form or confidence with us. I think Galini and Doherty, maybe not, uh, Galini's definitely not a good goalkeeper. I think Doherty, I struggle to see the player that we thought we bought. But this goes to your point, and I think it's a very, very good one about talent versus confidence versus motivation. And that's sort of the the Venn diagram that Conte's been sorting out, apparently, isn't it? I mean, he's had these discussions and, you know, we're seeing it in these games. We saw it against Chelsea that there's several there's several who are certainly, which is it? You know, which what, what can he rescue? So what I would say is that the Chelsea players who looked bad a year ago are all technically good. And a lot of the players that we're talking about aren't technically good. Doherty is not a good footballer technically. Jaffet is a good defender, but not good on the ball. So we've got, you know, Galini doesn't command his area, doesn't inspire confidence in the players behind him. So I don't see those as players who can necessarily turn it around with us under this manager. I think we're all on the same the same page with Galini. I, I somewhat disagree with you with Doherty. He was very good at Wolves and he was able to play one-touch fast football pretty well on an attack in, in, in the system that he was playing. Um, I think he's just at the wrong... I think he needs to leave for the sake of his own career right now. Um, you know, But where I find that the question becomes rather more interesting and he's on our list here is with a player like Gio Celso. You know, Here we've got a player who's clearly not delivering at 100%. Now, is that because he is just not quite good enough to be in a Champions League, consistent Champions League side? Or is it because 
he is lacking confidence and maybe a bit of motivation. Uh, so, I mean, why don't we play that question through him? So I thought he had quite a good game in this in this leg, and uh, but I know that a lot of people disagree. It's worth talking about the system we played in this game. So we started out in a, a three three four three three uh five three two type situation with geo on the right of the midfield three pushing into a front three but after about 10 minutes we switched to defending four four two, which is how we spent most of the rest of the game playing and geo was playing right midfield in a four four two. so doherty was playing left midfield for most of this game i, I thought he showed positional discipline and was doing the role he was asked to play. So he, he was staying tight, staying tight, close to his fullback in order to try and make it difficult for Chelsea to get through. And then when we had the ball, he was breaking forwards. But for a lot of that game, we, certainly in the first half, we didn't have the ball that much. I, I don't think it's necessarily a great game to judge him on in terms of what he can bring to us going forwards because he was doing what was asked of him. And I think he did that quite well. I thought he did okay. I think he hasn't had a long run in the team, um, some of it to do with international, some to do with injuries, whatever. Um, he's a talented player. He needs to sort his shooting out, but he's good, um, made the right decisions. So, yeah, I'm quite happy with Lo Celso. I'm happy to be patient with him. I think there's a real player there. Um, it's worth talking about how good his corners are. Mm. And that gives a whole, especially when Eric's yeah. back in the team and Romero's back in the team, you know, centre-backs um, and Sanchez now, you know, getting his head on the ball. Um, his corners are going to be a huge asset for yeah. us. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think his corners have been good across both legs. I think he also, he, you know, he also won quite a few free kicks um, in this second leg. I mean, Conte supposedly sees him as a as a forward, so one of the number 10s, but he hasn't really had a chance to play that position much under Conte so far. So, you know, he, he's been injured. I think we have to give him a run under Conte to see what he can do. I think he's good. I think he had a good game. I'm still not convinced. I'm sorry. I'm still not convinced. I think what's going to be really interesting with him is uh, with Sun out until the end of the month is whether he gets that chance in the front three and whether we play that and and what role he plays for Conte. And I think if he doesn't get that chance, it'll tell you everything that, that, that the manager thinks about it. Absolutely. But all, I think all the signs are, are so far that Conte likes him. Can he trust him? Well, I don't know. Conte seems to like him. And, he, you know, he's talking about him, he's playing him. The, I think what's interesting is whether he gets games when Bergwijn comes back, because I'd, I'd say they're probably players in a, a similar position in terms of... Well, one of them will be sold. If they can be sold in January, one of them will be sold, I'm sure. So I don't think either will be sold in January at all. I think I think, interesting. I think if they're going to go, they'll go in the summer. I don't think either will be sold in January. Okay. Uh, let's look at Taggy and Dombele. Um yeah, very simple. Do we think it was a club decision to leave him out and away from this match? And we've subsequently heard that he's now training, uh, you know, solo so, and so on and so forth. I mean, is this as obvious as it looks? Is it what it says on the tin? I don't think there's any chance of him being on the pitch so soon after what happened. So whoever made the decision made the right decision. There's no point in him being in the squad. Um, so keeping him away from the subs bench and the vitriol of... Um, fans and stuff made sense it was a sensible thing to do so Conte said on this in his press conference it was a technical decision so this is before he was uh, training on his own but uh, so this was around the selection for Chelsea it was a technical decision before to take the decision I don't take the decision if I don't consult with the club so I don't take the decision if I don't consult with the club Uh, there's a club line and I have to follow the club line the last two sentences seem to contradict each other a bit. He he says it's his decision, but then he says uh, he has to follow a club line. I mean, it wouldn't be a surprise if Paratici was involved in player discipline and it was a joint decision between the two of them. You know, we obviously we don't know what happened 
after they left the pitch on right there could be other stuff beyond just the the you know the, the dawdle off the pitch yeah because you can't discipline someone for walking slowly off a football pitch that's absurd. you wouldn't have thought so you, no. but you you could do for walking down, you could do for walking down the tunnel potentially i suppose but he came back out afterwards maybe he yeah. acted re- angrily in the dressing room after the game and he's been disciplined for that yes. i don't know yeah, that makes a little more sense to me. If that's what happened, and obviously we've got no way of knowing, that's pure speculation, the right thing to do is to keep that behind closed doors. The fact he looked hurt and stunned when he got started getting booed immediately as his number was put up, it wasn't as he was walking, it, the booing started straight away. He looked shocked and hurt um, because he wasn't the worst player on the pitch that day. Yep. There, there's something to think about there um, that he clearly cared, he was bothered by it. And, right, the fans are going to be against him and stuff. But for me, this whole thing was kind of upsetting for him. The reaction of the fans, the, his reaction, um, the whole thing was shit. Yeah, I'm not angry at Tangai. I, I'm angry at the whole situation. But he looked upset that the fans were upset with him, which says something. And you can, I'm a romantic, I love the guy. I, I want him to be a success because he's clearly talented. But um, yeah, it was a messy situation. I agree. I actually think that he should have been a part of the squad for this game. I think he should have played in this game or played a part in it. I think that the, possibly the only uh, mitigating reason I could go with for him not was that, as uh, Milo just suggested, there was some internal disciplinary issue to sort out and it was uh, dealt with, in which case the club made the right decision. But if we're still, if we're still not if we're still reacting off the slow walk and the booze that he got, I think it's absurd. Uh, the only other possible mitigation is to protect the player. Having said that, I don't see anyone really protecting him right now. I mean, I just wish for the bloke to get out of the club so that he can resurrect his career and we can get on with it. But again, to keep it Chelsea focused, I would have played him in this game and he would have had a role. I wouldn't have. I, th- I don't. I don't see a way back from him after that game. Unfortunately, Xhaka came back for Arsenal, though, didn't he? <laughs> yes, but. I, uh... I don't think... I mean, that's me clutching at straws, again. Yeah, different personalities, aren't they? I think we can certainly say Tangai's a complicated individual and requires a level of bespoke coaching that we possibly are not prepared to put in on him. I don't know, or that he's not prepared to put in on himself. I don't think it's that so much. I think it's how does he fit into a very systematic yes. way of playing. That and, too. Um, you know, he's an individual, individualistic player. And if he's not prepared to allow himself to be rebuilt by the manager, he's not going to fit into the team very well. I mean, I, I, right. I, I felt the same about Grealish going to Man City in that um, he needs to be broken and rebuilt in order to be, um, you know, mm-hmm. to get his best in that system. And I, I felt the same when Grealish was linked with us. And Ndombele, um, as he is, isn't a lot of use to the manager. And, you know, it, it's going to be a long-term project if he's going to, you know, he's going to be useful to this manager. Well, I mean, I think it's a broken situation. I think we're sort of to play in hindsight mm. view here, but I, I, I agree with all of that. VAR was right. Despite there being three calls against us, VAR was right. Yep, three words I never thought I would say <laughs> in the course of a 95-minute game, but VAR was right. No arguments there, right? No, every decision was on the money. With VAR in these three decisions, the way it was implemented sat right as well. It was there were good parts. There's shit parts of ours that some of us don't like. But this was all all culture. It was okay. That's why it's slightly different. That's why I'm with you, Steph, on that. Closing thoughts, one positive and one negative in thirty seconds. Amar, you go first. The negative is Jaffet. He's made too many mistakes this season. And the positive for me was Lacelso um starting to look and get involved and um yeah, I was happy with Giovanni. Hey, Milo? Um positive 
thought the second half when we went at them, we we looked quite good. I mean, admittedly, Chelsea were sitting on a three nil lead at the time and you know didn't need to open themselves up, but we had a good spell and I think we troubled them a little bit. The negative, I think, the negative has to be the big drop off in quality again between you know the first choice and and the backups, particularly in defence. I think that you know that's what's cost us over the two legs. Uh, the positive for me was Harry Winks' performance uh, continues to show that he is a completely reclaimed player under Antonio Conte, and uh, for me, uh, shows that he has a future with the club. I was impressed with him, uh, but I think the biggest negative is that we still make these mistakes, uh, which I think. Uh, as you were saying, Milo is, uh, you know, is, is, is down to that drop off in quality. But these little mistakes are, you know, they've effectively cost us a fighting chance of that second leg being a game worth playing, uh, mm-hmm. as opposed to a game going in with, you know, uh, with looking up, up, uphill. Um, we did a lot during the game uh, that was positive in terms of chance creation. Kane played very well. I thought he had one mm-hmm. of his better games for us for a, for a long time really good dropping in, creating, so on. So I actually was fairly encouraged by the performance overall. Just a shame, once again, that we keep on making these mistakes. And as a footnote, I must add, uh, what a shame that we can't sign Rudiger. I mean, as much as we may not like him uh, uh, for what we know, what a what a fine player he has become and and what a and, and what an absolute winner i mean i watched his post match interview and it was absolutely cold blooded i mean cold blooded yeah. and really on the money um uh, and I, I have to say again i know he's not popular with our fans but i thought that he was so good over those two yeah. games for them and wow oh, we'd love him wouldn't we yeah i'm a fan i've always liked him so transfer rumors we've got a list of players here that we feel best represent our most consistently linked uh, perspective incomings. What we're going to do is we're going to evaluate them, you know, one by one on the basis of whether they will fit what Antonio Conte wants. This is a very important uh, distinction. Again, we're looking at them through the manager's eyes as best we can. Uh, We might, you know, we might offer a little personal opinion at the end of all that, but the predominant focus is going to be how these players might fit our system were they to come in and actually we might take a punt here and see if any of them are going to come in in January so let's start with the name that we well he's almost becoming the Damiao of the of of the current era (laughs) Uh, Adama Traore chaps what do we think is he going to suit our system should he come in who wants to kick this one off I believe that anybody who signs Adama is taking a risk. Um, he's capable of amazing things, um, moments of magic. He could definitely beat a player from from a standing position and from a running position. Um, his final ball and his decision making is absolute shit um, most of the time, but occasionally, again, he does something magic. Um, but he's so bloody quick. It's a gamble, um, and the fact where that interested him, in, I find it quite strange to be honest. I don't think he's, I, I think he's a fun player. I'd love to have him at Spurs, but um, he doesn't feel like the Conte type of player to me. I mean, Conte and Paratici are meant to be fans of him, aren't they? And that's mm. kind of where this has come from. And evidently, the plan is to convert him into a right wing back. I was very against him as a forward in the summer. I'm not quite so against him as a wing back although bizarrely there's less evidence to support whether he can play that position or not I suppose part of that comes down to I've got more trust in Conte and Conte's judgment than I did Nuno I think 
part of the reasoning for it might be that the price is lower. You know, it, I think we're talking about something in the region of twenty million pounds, which is comparatively cheap for a Premier League footballer nowadays. So I just wonder whether part of the thinking of this is that kind of primary primary um, right back targets aren't available. He could do a job there in certain situations. The fee is relatively low. We might be able to use him in other positions. You know, he could be, he could potentially cover Sun or Mora in in the future, and we might be able to flip him and sell him for more in a year or two's time. That's kind of how it feels to me. Yeah, he strikes me if if Conte is indeed interested, it strikes me as perhaps what he uh, he thinks he can do what he did for Victor Moses with him and reinvent him in that sense. Uh, I, I look, I think that he'd be a very useful player. I think Conte would find him as a very useful option against pack defences because he is one of the only players in the league who is prepared to actually go at someone in a short space. Like, so if there's not very much space, if you've only got 10 or 15 yards to attack, he's going to go for it. And so that immediately does cause a little bit of chaos around him and hopefully drags tight defences into cover and opens up space for others. So I think on that basis he could be very very useful uh, I agree he is fairly versatile I will also personally admit to the fact that I think we've been linked with him so often and I'm so much a fan of supporting the manager that if Conti wants him I'm going to convince myself that he's you know that he's a worthwhile addition to the squad I'm looking down the line at whose progress he might block and whether that progress uh, would you know a player whether it be a heel or whoever would be you know any more useful for us um i suppose the short answer is if he came in for 20 million i would not be unhappy yeah i mean if, if he's coming in as a right wing back he's not blocking anyone because we don't have anyone really coming through in that position i see him primarily primary uses as a ball carrier so rather than in the final third a ball out to him uh from defense so dyer pinging one out to him on the halfway line and him belting forwards is going to be a threat. It's you know if you've got him and yeah. you know Sun yeah. pushed up oh, no. and Mora pushed up, teams are going to be nervous about the space behind it. Will it will create space? Um, I'm not quite so sure about him running at packed defences. It's not something that he's had to do particularly uh, at Wolves. And obviously there are question marks about his uh, his end product. But yeah, I mean if the price is right, I mean you know <laughs> it wouldn't be my primary reason for signing him if I was Antonio Conte. But I think it's just something. It's another mm. factor. That makes him useful. I'll tell you something that's interesting we never think about is we see the pictures of him. I wonder what it's like to stand opposite him on a football pitch and watch him coming at you. I mean, I wonder, like, you know, we talk about football in scientific and and, and very, very um, delineated patterns and, and systems of play. But there is also still the human factor of watching a guy who is built like a brick shithouse with the speed of Usain Bolt coming at you with a football. I mean, it's got to be intimidating. So we kind of think of the, kind of the impact that Jonah Lumu had at, um, at rugby when he yes. first came through. <laughs> Just steamrolled yeah. everything. Yeah, I mean, I think it's worth... I mean, it is, it is a factor as well. It adds, it adds to the package. I'm talking myself into it. Antonio. He's so much fun. <laughs> he is so much fun to watch. Right. And so, if, when it works, it's amazing. <laughs> so I think we've somewhat come to the conclusion that, okay... I think as the Antonios that we all are, we'll find a way to play him and we'll find space for him. Which brings us to Stefan de Vrij, which uh, actually, given what we just talked about with regards to getting an early ball out to someone like Adama Traore, you know, it's interesting to talk about Stefan de Vrij. I mean, not that that's his primary role. He is obviously a very imposing centre-half who Antonio Conte knows well, right-footed, but also comfortable playing on the left of a three. Need to be. Uh, I've, I, look, I, I for me... It's a no-brainer. I want this man. I want this man in. I want him in for his experience. I want him in for his uh, for his ability. 
I think it's a no-brainer. I mean, he primarily plays in the centre for Inter. Yes. Um, in the middle, so I think if he if he's coming in, it's probably to compete or take the place of Dyer. I don't think. I mean, he's a really good player. I don't think that actually this is one that's going to happen. I think this is one of those links that's there because he used to play for the manager, and we're clearly looking for players in the in that position, or we're clearly looking for a centre half. And I also, he's twenty nine, isn't he? What we shouldn't have put him as second on our list. <laughs> I mean, it's, we should have not put him further so down. So I don't think he really. He's going to cost top dollar because he's coming from. He's coming from a you know decent club. He's at his peak. He's going to want decent wages. It just doesn't feel very Spurs. How, however good he would be, it doesn't feel very Spurs. Yeah, I I admittedly no don't know loads about him, but I sort of feel that Davis, as senior, experienced centre back at the moment, is working really well for us, playing the left side and. I think Eric is now sort of a senior centre-back for us as well. So I I think we're going to be looking for somebody quite young and um, explosive in, uh, who can really pass from the back to come in, um, but not somebody for that much money at that age. It's, I, I can imagine Conte wanting him, but not necessarily our owner. Interesting. Well, I, I mean, I'll throw another name in, which isn't on the list, not to derail us too much, but I will say if the money was available for one experienced centre-back that we could get and, you know, uh, and that was going to make a big difference, Koulibaly would be the, the player you go for. He has been loosely linked, albeit I think it's a lazy set of links, once again, based on needs versus actual, you know, legitimate uh, contact. However, I'd be in favour as... And Mr. Antonio of having Devridge in my squad mm. and in my side. Uh, and if you give me Koulibaly, I'll probably take him ahead. So It appears that in terms of kind of identifying gaps in the squad, the kind of words coming out from the more reliable kind of journos are that the club had identified left um, left centre-back, right wing back and centre-forward as the gaps. And Conte sees central midfield as more of a priority than left centre-back. So, and he's prepared to leave replacing centre-backs or bringing in new centre-backs until the summer. Which brings us on to Frank Kessie, who, I mean, look, I'm, I'm going to make a, a broad-based assumption here, always a dangerous thing on the game is about glory, and say that the three of us are in concert with our Antonio eyes are saying that Frank Kessie is sort of a no-brainer for us, that we need to spend the money and we need to bring him in. His wages are relatively low, commensurate to the talent that he has, and uh, and he's you know he's he's out there. On, he's going to be out there on the market, and we need him. We need a player like that. So yeah, entirely anecdotally, my cousin is a massive AC Milan fan, and he says he's their best player. Um, loves him to bits, and would be absolutely heartbroken if he was to come to Spurs. Um, he's got a lot about him. And he might be the sort of ah, it's not. I don't like to compare anybody to Musa Dembele, but that sort of really hustle bustle midfielder that we need to come in because it, yes, he is different from him. But um, yeah, I, I like him. I don't think we'll be able to get him in January. He's at African Cup of Nations at the moment. Uh, AC Milan are pushing for the title, and he is out of contract in the summer. Why would he join us now when he could wait until the summer? He's not going to be short of suitors, and he can take a signing on fee. And he might be on reasonable wages at the moment, but I'm not sure that's going to be the case if he comes in as a free agent. That's going to push his wages up. So for for a number of reasons, I can't see any reason how or any way we can get this done in January unless we really, really, really push the boat out, you know, match his agent, his, his wages as a, as a free agent, give him a signing on fee that he could get in July and give AC Milan money now. Again, it just doesn't feel like the kind of thing we'd do. Um, I hope we bring him in in the summer, 
but I can't see him getting get him get us getting him in the next two weeks. Ah, oh, Mr. Paratici, that's your brief. That's what you're here to do. Get this sort of stuff done, whether it be for this window, whether it be a pre-contract agreement. I think we're all in agreement as the the three Antonios that we are tonight that we want him. So get it done. Let's make it happen. That brings us to Dusan uh, Valovic. You know, he is the hot ticket on the on the transfer lips these days. Can you have a hot ticket on lips? I don't know. But if you can, he's it. He's all over the press. Every day he's being associated with this and that and the other. It's hard not to think that he doesn't have an incredibly aggressive uh, agent and PR campaign behind him uh, that is motivating this. Is he worth the money? You're, you're Antonio. You know you've got a budget. You know you need a striker. Is he the guy that you're going to hang your hat on? I mean, he's having a fantastic season. And, you know, he's got 16 goals in 20 games uh, in Serie A this season. Although we should say that five of those 16 goals are penalties. So he's got 11 goals in, in 20 games from open play. And he had a decent season last season as well. I think if we got him in the summer and we got him for around £50 million, I think it would be a good signing. At the moment... The price is going to be higher. There's more competition for him. I think there's a very strong chance that he'll want to leave it till the summer as well because he's got a very good chance of um, finishing this season as Serie A top, top goal scorer. And that's going to push his, um, you know, his, his ability to ask for you know, higher wages and what have you up. I, I'm also hearing that his agents are asking for a lot of money. So I think the, the rumour is he's, he's looking for 300k a week, which pushes it beyond us again. I, I I'm being a real um, sourpuss tonight. I'm sorry about this. I'm, I'm putting scorn on all of these potential um, potential signings. You know, 300k a week is a lot more than any of our players are on currently. If he got that, then I think it's a fair bet that Kane, if he was to negotiate a new contract, would be would then be looking for similar. I think Lloris, we're, we're in the latter stages of negotiating a contract um, with him at the moment, would probably want similar, and so on. It's a, it would uh, have a knock on impact. There's also rumours that they're asking for you know, release clauses and a slice of any uh, future sale price and a signing on fee and what have you and what have you and what have you. And again, all of that doesn't feel very Spurs. Added to that, you know, looking at his data at the moment, I think that he might be overperforming a little bit. And this is the kind of thing that will come back and bite me on the arse in two years' time when he's smashing it all over the place. I think there's a fairly high chance that you'd be paying top dollar for a player at the peak of their form and that means that they could drop off a fair bit just afterwards and then you're left with a player who's still very good but not quite as good and you've and you've got them on big money and you've paid a big fee for them and you don't have a lot of control over when they leave and what have you and that doesn't feel again like a great situation so good player he's clearly going to get a big move very soon i think it might be one to dodge so i'm going to agree with you um 300k a week's a lot of money let's use our analysts and our scouts and find a younger player um pay some money but not crazy money now i'm not interested in him um there's some stuff i've seen in the media about some of his politics which i'm not too keen on but purely from a footballing and pricing perspective, it doesn't seem realistic to me in January. Yeah, I always felt that uh, from the get-go, I've never been 100% sold on him as as the answer. Considering the fact that we're not a club that spends big all the time, and considering we have just spent big in the last couple of years, and, you know, sort of been stung by it a little bit, I think we're going to be a little more prudent as to where we splash that money. And if we're going to splash that money, you know, I, I think he's... I don't think he's the gamble. I mean, for... 
watching him, there is just the air of a player who will not kick on as you might expect him to. And I can't put my finger on that. Uh, as you say, Milo, we're in the court of egg on face in two years time opinion, if you will. Um, but I, I agree. I, I just, I don't feel he's, there's something about him, this style and it doesn't seem to just be what Antonio would want. I, I, I don't know. I, I can't believe he's an Antonio target. I think he fits Conte quite well. He likes strong front men. You know, he's big, he's strong, he can hold up the ball. Um, his shot from outside the area is excellent. You know, he's very one-footed. So once he gets into the box, it's always gonna he's always going to run to the left-hand yeah. side and shoot. But I mean, he's having a fantastic season. I, I've watched Fiorentina quite a lot this year and uh, I like watching him. I think he's a good player um, or certainly having a good season. If you're talking about you know forty to fifty million pounds and one hundred and fifty k a week, I think he's worth a punt. But if you're talking sixty to seventy million pounds and three hundred k a week, I don't think he is. So yeah, I mean, look, I, I agree, and, and we've got this name a little further down our list, but it seems an appropriate moment to bring him up. That is Patrick Schick, who we've been, um, you know, we've been linked with in the past, uh, and who, if you're going to go for a striker that has the physical properties that Antonio Conte wants and is also banging them in for fun, has, you know, two good feet and and, and seems to have just, a, a, I don't know, he seems to have an extra poise about him. Uh, not to mention he's a good, what, 30 million cheaper if you were to try and buy him in the, in mm-hmm. the current market, 25 million. I, I would love to see us going for Patrick Schick. I'd love to see that be a real thing. What does anyone think? Good player if we could get him. I mean, we do need a player like him, but yeah, it's more about um, how strong the links are and what the chances are because he's got a contract for another three years, hasn't he? So yeah, it just feels like a wonderful idea. I mean, I think it's probably going to be difficult to get him in January again. For Leverkusen this season, he scored 18 goals in 16 games, which is remarkable. He had a, he had a very good Euros in the summer, scored the goal of the tournament, undoubtedly. And... I think he'd be a good fit for us. And as you said, Steph, probably, you know, a fraction of the price of uh, Vlaovic. Although uh, if we tried to get him in January or could complete the deal for him in January, then obviously that would push the price up quite a lot more than it would be in the summer. I like him. You know, he's not maybe the glamour signing that some people are looking for, but he's very capable. He's got a good goal scoring record. Um, I think he could probably play alongside Kane as well as uh, in place of him. And at 25, I think you know what you're getting. I think it's probably the kind of deal that we haven't done in the past. This season, he's on hot form. So I'm going to contradict myself a bit about what I was saying about Vlajevic. But if you look at his previous season, so at the moment, he's his XG is 0.9 per game. But prior to that, uh, over the last few seasons before that, it was half of that, which is still very reasonable. So yeah, I, th- I, think, um, I think he'd be a good option. So let's run through these final three names with a little bit of speed, if we can. Um, we've got Jesse Lingard, we've got Dejan Kulusevski, and we've got Charles de Ketelare. Lingard available this summer. Kulusevski, contract expires June 25. Ketelare, contract expires June 24. Lingard is the oldest of the three. He's 29. Kulusevski's 21. Ketelare's 20. What do we think of the rumours versus the type of player we're looking at versus the manager we have in Antonio Conte? Who wants to wrestle that triple question beast first? (laughs) I mean, I think Lingard and Kulovetsky are interesting because they, to suggest to me, is cover for Mora. Lingard, um, he's 29. He'll be 30 next December. 
Um, he's going to be on big money at Man United. He's not going to want to take a pay cut if he's a free agent in the summer. Um, I'm not sure we should be paying that kind of money for a player who's approaching 30. I'd assume that he'd probably be looking for yeah high wages and a reasonably long contract. And I'm not sure you you know in the third and fourth year of that contract that's going to represent good value for money. But I'd love him on loan for the second half of the season and see if he could do anything right. like he did at West Ham last season. I think he'd be a, a great signing, but I can't see Man United doing that, particularly for us who are a team who are competing for a top four place. Yeah, I, I think he's a decent player, but probably not one for us. Kulaveski, I think, is probably a um, a business signing again. He can play a number of positions. He can cover a few of them. He had an excellent season at Palmer a couple of years ago. Um, he's found himself to be a bit of a fringe player at Juve this season. You know, he, he's quick. He's good with the ball at his feet. He's tall. I'm not sure how much of an impact he'd make this season, but... It, again, it's one of those signings where you could probably pick him up on cheap because Juve need to sell to buy, um, and he's a fringe, he found himself a fringe player, and we could probably sell him, you know, possibly sell him for a bit more in a few years' time if he has an impact. Um, at the very least, he's not going to lose value, but he doesn't play one of the priority positions we're looking at right now. Lingard's homegrown, I guess, is an impact player, but again, crazy wages. I wouldn't mind him on loan. It's, I'm going to repeat almost what Milo's just said. Um, I don't know much about the lad from Juve, again, but from his videos that I watched earlier, um, his height um, and his dribbling ability stood out to me. So clearly, it, he's got potential to develop into something. I mean, if you buy him for the future, great but probably doesn't solve any immediate problems again. I think with the kid, he, he's clearly got a lot of hype about him. His videos show that he's got ability to score goals. Um, he's young. I mean, I'd be happy to see the kid signed, um, yeah. buying on potential, sort of the Spurs way. Yeah, I mean, Cotelier can play across the front three or as an, as an attacking midfielder. I suspect if you're bringing him into the Premier League, he'd probably end up in as one of the number 10 positions to begin with. I'm not quite sure how much of a number 10, uh, sorry, as a number 9 he would be for us or whether he would fit what Conte wants in that. Although he's relatively big, so he might he might be able to yeah, provide some cover for that and develop into that in the future. Um, Leicester are meant to be interested and it feels very much like a Leicester type signing to me. Yeah, and they tend to get these things right. Yeah. Because they, because they can wait two years. They can, they can have them in the fringes, let them develop quietly. There's a lot more pressure at Spurs than there is at Leicester. So, um, I mean, I think that Lingard, uh, again, short term would be uh, a great loan for six months because his impact would be unquestionable. I would not want him as a long term signing. It would smack a little bit too much of a uh, sort of bit red nappy, actually. I think if we were to sign him long term mm-hmm. and spend that money on him, I don't think we need to be spending that money on him. We need to put that elsewhere. Uh, Kulisevsky, again, I I can't put my finger on it. I just don't feel that he is going to develop into the talent that is going to flourish in the Premier League. And I think with a lot of these players, you have to account for their skill set and their style versus the Premier League. It's, it's, you know, I think he looks, you know, he looks promising uh, in Juve, looks promising in Serie A. I'm not convinced he's a Premier League player. I would not personally be spending 27 billion on him as he's valued. Ketelari would be worth the gamble for me. He looks like he's got a bit of everything and uh, with the right coaching could develop into a fabulous, fabulous talent. I'd be more inclined to take the punt on him. But again, we're looking at what we need short term here as much as anything. And uh, out of the list, you know, I've got to say, I'm going back to saying that Traore does have an immediate impact factor. And my word, if we could get Frank Kessie across the line, that would be tremendous. So on Kulaveski, briefly... 
Um, the values here are taken from transfer market, so that's not necessarily what they're going for. And, and the rumours were that we were looking at him at around 15 million. When I'm talking about him, I'm talking about him as a money ball signing, effectively. You're looking for value in the market. And I think there's a couple here um, that fall into that category. That's when I talk about but kind of a business signing. If you can sign him for less than his market value, he fills a couple of positions and you can potentially, you know, he might kick on or he holds his value. Then that's not necessarily a bad signing, but he's not addressing one of our immediate issues. Who'd be a sporting director indeed? Oh, Fabio Paratici, apparently. Uh, and it'll be really interesting to see how he resolves uh, these final two weeks and see if he can make Antonio happy in the short term. We apparently will have a game of football in the middle of the week. Apparently, it's going to be against Leicester, one of the teams who themselves have uh, had to postpone games due to lack of available players and so on and so forth. You never know with Premier League football in 2022. Will it or won't it? Who should we play and are we confident? Almost become side questions. Will this game take place? Let's assume it will take place. Who should he play and are we confident? So Conte said in his press conference for the Arsenal game that the players are out, who are out at the moment, will be out until the end of the month. So that means that Dyer, possibly Reggie, Romero and Bergwin, I assume, will be, will be out until the end of the month. That ties our hands a little bit. It probably means that the team looks a little like the one that played against Chelsea, presumably with Cessignon coming in for Doherty and Skip coming in for Winks, you would think, uh, based on what Conte normally does. And obviously, Lloris coming in for Gallini. <laughs> oh, that was a daring prediction there. My word, pushing the boat out, as we like <laughs> to do here. But... So with that late change that you're going to make of Lloris coming in for Gallini, um, uh, are you confident? Leicester are having a bit of an up and down season. Um, if we had a full strength side, I would be reasonably confident. Uh, Rogers is a canny manager and he'll know the limitations of that back three we're going to be putting out and he will have a plan to exploit that. And I'm not sure that the players... Uh, there's mistakes there and uh, it worries me. Ah, Brilliant. I just want to point out if anyone is ever looking to media train their client, Milo is available for consultancy at a fairly reasonable rate. And you'll have to go a long way to do better because never have I seen a man so eloquently sidestep an are you confident question as as artfully as as he does uh, another yeah. masterful <laughs> masterful my friend <laughs> the art of language there media training i'm, I'm not sidestepping <laughs> I, I answered it fully okay I, I gave you my my full views on it <laughs> um, i explained why anyway Emma, Emma, the problem uh, with Le- <laughs> lester is a bit they remind me, this season's Leicester reminds me a bit of Martin Jones Spurs. You just got no, you've got no idea who's going to turn up, whether they're going to get, get hammered or they're going to win. Um, but yeah, I think we should be confident. Um, with Kane and Mora and the guys up front, um, we should be able to score, score goals against that defence. Um, we just got to hope the guys at the back do their job. We need a win and we, we should be okay. Conte's had some more time with the guys. He'll have drilled some more plays into them. Um, so yeah, um, yeah, uh, I'm confident. Purely because Milo didn't said a lot of stuff without actually telling us whether he was confident or not. I thought I'd just come out and say it. I agree with Milo's uh, uh, take on the side. I think I think that's pretty much how it's going to shape out. Uh, pretty much because look, it's it's telling its own story. I remain confident that we will come away from there with a victory. Uh, Conti knows 
that we have to start improving our away record if we're going to make top four. This is imperative, and we're not going to get a much better chance against Leicester than right now. They are a little weakened. Uh, I think that we will come away with the points, albeit I don't expect a particularly attractive game. I think it'll be uh, an ugly affair and we will get the win that we need. I base that purely on the manager. Bit of blind faith there. Chelsea part three. Uh, Look, I don't know really if we should break this down too much other than to say, I'm just going to put this question to you and let's leave it at this. Has Antonio learned enough about the balance of these games in the last two to perm a result out of this one? I just think they're so much better than us at the moment. Hopefully something goes our way. But yeah, I'm not confident about Chelsea. I mean, considering the players that we have out in Son, Dyer, Romero and stuff, um, yeah, I'm fairly pensive about this game. We've got a shit record at Stamford Bridge. We're not doing well on the road this this season. You know, if we put that same defence out again, we'll get the same outcome, I think. If Romero or Dyer is fit ahead of schedule, then I think that changes it slightly. I think it's just that balance. Not having a player in central defence who can play the ball out is such a big handicap to how we want to play. I'm not optimistic about these two games because of our defence. I'm optimistic that we'll be able to eliminate the mistakes, albeit I have no basis for the optimism. And I think that we will get a point at Stamford Bridge. I just, and again, I have no, uh, there's no real uh, technical or shall we say studied thought process behind that other than the fact I cannot countenance that we will lose to Chelsea three times in the matter of a couple of weeks it just it just doesn't compute professional pride alone would surely suggest to me that if he needed to he, he he's going to find a way and again non-scientific and possibly blue tinted specs I think we'll get a point and uh, we bring to a close another uh, quite a strange week, I would say, in uh, the 2021-22 season. We thought we wouldn't have much to talk about, and here we are, we've gone way over time and left poor old Milo with more cutting than he was expecting to have to do. So, uh, great job, lads. Nice one. Thank you. Good to be Cheers, back. Cheers, Steph. Uh, yeah, good, good to, to have, have you back, back mate. And, yeah, and thanks, Milo, as well, as always. Uh, we will be back next week, uh, hopefully, to talk about the Leicester and Chelsea <laughs> games. Uh, I have to add that as a caveat now each week, don't I? You can find us on Twitter and Instagram. uh, So give us a follow, say hello. As always, thanks again for joining us and we'll see you next week, come game or not.